0: Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you very
1: much for tuning in and for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do community. In the last couple of weeks, we have had record number of downloads. And I wish I could say I knew the exact reason why the other day we had more than 3,000 downloads on a certain day. But for some reason, uh, some people are... Uh, listening to the show. I do know that some of the recent guests have been very good about sharing the episodes on social media, but uh, I don't know why, but listenership is up and that just makes my day a little bit brighter. So thank you to all of you who are new listeners and who are sharing this with your friends. You can always follow us on the Facebook page or on Twitter at Cool Podcast. And as I often ask you, jump over to iTunes and leave a review if you like the show because uh, A, it makes me happy and B, it's the way people find the show. So jump over and leave a review. So. Today, we have a repeat guest, and I'm starting to invite more repeat guests back because in the last couple of years, They've done new and exciting and cool things in their businesses. And so today we have Lori Guest. Now, Lori was guest number 68 somewhere about two years ago. Uh, The show was still kind of new. I was still trying to find my sea legs, and she was one of the early guests on the show. But what's fun when I have people back is I don't have to follow the same questions because if you want to hear sort of the basics about Lori and how she became an entrepreneur, you can always go back and listen to episode 68 – But when I have someone back on the show, we get to play a little bit. So I was talking to Lori before we started, and I said, you know, what direction do we want to do? Because she's an expert on customer service. She's a speaker and a trainer. She tells everybody that she is a Midwest farmer's daughter, but she's got kind of a cutting edge to her. And I said, where are we going to go? And she said, you know what? I have an idea. Just introduce me, and we'll have a conversation. So I don't even know, as the host of the show— where this episode is going to go. So please welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, or I should say, welcome back, Lori Guest.
2: Hey, it is so great to be back. And I am excited about the surprise that I am ready to pull on you. Are you ready?
1: I I love surprises.
2: (laughs) Well, I hope you love this one. Well, (laughs) a, uh, a mutual friend told me that you are edging up on episode number three
1: hundred <laughs> of the
2: uh, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. First of all, I better start with that. Is that a true statement?
1: That is a true statement. In the next couple months, we're going to hit three hundred episodes, which totally wow. blows me away.
2: Congratulations! That I, I don't know that that people understand really and you're too modest about it probably but that is a lot of hard work you have to find the guest you have to get them lined up you have to hope that they're interesting and then all the back-end work to make it happen um i'm just amazed i don't have a podcast show so this is what my idea is i'm hijacking yours <laughs>
1: you're, you're, ta- you're taking over cool things
2: I am. i'm only for this episode i'm taking over because I don't have a podcast. I'm not sure I have the uh, self-discipline that you have to have a 300-show uh, podcast. And so I thought, how could I have a podcast? I thought, you know what? I'm going to hijack Singer's podcast, and I will practice on you. <laughs> and so here's the deal. You're the one being interviewed. Surprise!
1: <laughs> this is great. I've always thought about having guest hosts, so uh, so I never thought that I would be the guest. But, but having a guest host and, and being the guest, I'm game. I'll play.
2: Yeah. And guest is everywhere. I I, I am a a guest on the show. My last name is guest. So I guess I'm the (laughs) guest interviewer and you get to uh, be in the hot seat. So here we go. And here's the fun part. Uh, You and I know each other pretty well. We've had uh, several drinks or cups of coffee together. And that's how I see this. I see it as a conversation. I don't even know what I'm going to ask you. I truly (laughs) did not plan the questions out ahead of time. But I think that's what makes a good interview is like, let's kind of see where it takes us. So out of the gate, my first question is, why did you want to have a podcast in the first place and interview entrepreneurs? Tell us about that.
1: So uh, three years ago, I was actually at the National Speakers Association. And one of the speakers said, if you ever feel like you're in a rut, a great way to get out of it would go be interview 50 really successful people. And I have a I have a blog and so my thought was and sort of what he was talking about was doing a written interview and writing up a a, a thing and I, I started going through the process of who would be the 50 people, how would I do this and I would interview 50 really successful people and therefore I would learn a lot. It would expose me to 50 people who've been down the path and achieved a lot but at the same time, podcasting was becoming really popular. In fact, it might have already reached really popular three years ago so everybody who had a pulse was starting a podcast and I decided I would go to a thing called Podcast movement. I went to the first one just to see what it was all about. And I sort of got the idea that this would be a great venue to do my 50 interviews. And so that's how it sort of all started. Was it was going to be 50 interviews. I was going to do it all in the course of about six months. And it was really just to get me inspired.
2: And did it get you inspired? It must have, because here (laughs) you are all these episodes later.
1: Well, it, it has gotten me inspired. I have found that it's one of the greatest tools for learning and for connecting with people. And also it's been really good for my business. So uh, that's why it keeps going. That's interesting.
2: What's the hardest part of, of having a podcast?
1: Well, you sort of said it when you said that just you know having to coordinate, always having to have someone there. My belief – I released this show on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and my thing that I was told when I went into it is you can't be sporadic. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I'm going to do a monthly show or a weekly show or in my case twice a week, and, and they do it for like seven episodes. And then they get busy and they stop, and they, they call it in the business pod fade because your podcast just fades away. Oh, that is
2: so me, Tom. That's exactly what I would do. So instead of fading, I hijacked. And I'm actually (laughs) thinking that's the theme. Where I think I'm going with this is I think I'm going to be a podcast hijacker. That's
1: awesome. And you're the first. That's awesome. I'm
2: just going to go from podcaster to podcaster and hijack them. What do you think?
1: I, I think that's great. And I bet there are a lot of people who would never let you on their show. They'd be like, keep that Lori guest woman away from me. But Why would they
2: say that? Really?
1: Well, some people are really formulatic and they want oh. their show to be a certain thing and, and they're very structured. My attitude is just what you said when we started. I try to make all these shows like we're having a conversation over a beer or a cup of coffee no matter who I'm talking to, even if I've never never met the person. So I actually think you may have just come up with a brilliant idea that'll set you apart and make you stand out in the world of podcasting. So I say I say, uh, go for it.
2: Yeah, I might try that. I guess the one big thing that was on my mind I really wanted to ask you, and and I, again, did not give you warning, so I don't know if you can do this off the top of your head, but have you had an aha about business during an interview? Is there one that stands out where you say, wow, I sat there and went, duh, wish I had thought of it, isn't this a cool pearl, anything stand out?
1: So, you know, I, I I would have had to have put some thought into that to be able to think. They all start to blur together a little bit. But I think overall, I don't think there's been one interview where I'm like, wow, that was the interview. But mm-hmm. I do remember when I interviewed the CEO of Ghirardelli Chocolate. And this was in the early days. It was back probably around the time you were on the show. And, you know, I interviewed him. And what I realized was he's running one of the biggest, most well-known brands. I think it, Ghirardelli ranks in the top 100 Brands, I'm making that up, but I think that's right. Top uh-huh. 100 most recognizable brands in the United States. And yet, he was really an entrepreneur. He had been the head of sales and marketing. And while heading sales and marketing, he over tripled the size of the company I think if I remember the story correctly and they made him CEO and and president of the company because he had done that but what he really was was an entrepreneur he obviously didn't found Ghirardelli chocolate because the company's Uh much older than he is but he actually looked at an existing brand and through his entrepreneurial uh, efforts, he went and did this, and I realized that you don't have to be a solopreneur like I am or a small business person to be an entrepreneur. You can be an entrepreneur inside a large company and essentially grow that you know company itself. The, the the episode right before this one, the woman works for a publishing company called Lulu, and she is heads up the Lulu Jr., which is they help kids publish books. Now, she didn't found the company. She's only been there three years. Lulu's been around since, I think, the... 90s or at least early 2000s, I think she said. But again, she has taken the reins of this product and relaunched it and repositioned it and changed the way they've done it as an internal person. So I think what I realized was you can have that entrepreneurial spirit and put it into anything you do. You don't have to be sort of the textbook entrepreneur.
2: Oh, I love that. And I think it's really important for people to hear that because sometimes I find people get um, stagnant in their jobs because they feel like, okay, they've gone as far as they can go. You know, my name's never going to be on the shingle on the outside of the building. So what's left for me? And, 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 you know, some people give the word motivation a kind of an eye roll, you know, motivational speakers. But I think motivation is such an important thing. I remember one time I was working uh, as a consultant in an eye doctor's office and he had this one particular staff person who had really hit her ceiling or she was behaving like she had hit her ceiling. And she was never going to go any further and he was thinking he might have to let her go. She was actually thinking she might want to leave and I couldn't figure out why. And when I dug into it further, I found out that he wanted more from her, but he couldn't put his finger on what more meant like he just wanted more not I think it was more enthusiasm but he couldn't put words to it and she wanted more but couldn't put her finger on it and long story short I found out that what she was really jazzed about was she used to have a merchandising job where she would decorate like um Oh, like in a clothing store where they put the clothes on the dummies and, you know, do all that merchandising to sell. And so I said to her, how would you feel if we put you in charge of the windows here? Because they have to merchandise for eyewear as well. People don't realize that, but they do. And she got so excited about it that she put on that internal entrepreneur hat, which is what I think you're talking about. He gave her a small budget and told her to go crazy with it and it saved her job. I mean, she completely (laughs) turned her attitude around and all it was taking was about two or three hours a month for her to do this but she became an entrepreneur inside her own walls. I think that's exactly what you're talking about.
1: Well, absolutely. You bring up an interesting thing when you talk about how the word motivation gets sort of this thing. If if you're old enough to remember Chris Farley on on Saturday Night Live where he was the motivational speaker and we all know that he lived in a van down by the river and he was this total loser who was trying to motivate other people and that in our industry that has sort of ruined it. I talk to people all the time who are like, "Oh, we don't want a motivational speaker. They're they're cheesy. They're this." I mean, society looks at that with the big eye roll as you said, but what I ask people all the time is, "Then tell me what the opposite of motivation is." Yeah. And the only word anybody can ever come up with is demotivation or unmotivation, unmotivating. And I had one person tell me they thought and thought they couldn't come up with another word. And they said, sucks the energy out of the room. And she's like, oh, my God, is that what we're looking for in a speaker? So motivation is never a bad thing, no matter what you're talking about, because the opposite really is bad.
2: Well, yeah. And I mean, motivation gets us up in the morning. It gets us with that self-discipline I was talking about earlier. I mean, it's the basis of everything. Like with every industry, there's stereotypes. You know, you throw out the industry. I'm married to a lawyer, right? Every time we go to a party, somebody has to tell him a lawyer joke. (laughs) And what he wants to say is everybody has a lawyer joke until they need one. <laughs> right that's when right. you need one you sure hope the guy is going to answer your call and he's going to take care care of you so I think it's interesting how we you know break through some of those stereotypes and I think with motivation that's a big one for us is that if, if we're not getting people to a desired result then then what are we doing you know so the next question I have on my mind about you uh, that that I want to share I don't know if you've talked about this a lot in your previous podcast but I
0: Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs
1: Do. Thank you very much for tuning in and for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do community. In the last couple of weeks, we have had record number of downloads. And I wish I could say I knew the exact reason why the other day we had more than 3,000 downloads on a certain day. But for some reason, uh, some people are... Uh, listening to the show. I do know that some of the recent guests have been very good about sharing the episodes on social media, but uh, I don't know why, but listenership is up and that just makes my day a little bit brighter. So thank you to all of you who are new listeners and who are sharing this with your friends. You can always follow us on the Facebook page or on Twitter at Cool Podcast. And as I often ask you, jump over to iTunes and leave a review if you like the show because uh, A, it makes me happy, and B, it's the way people find the show. So jump over and leave a review. So Today, we have a repeat guest, and I'm starting to invite more repeat guests back because in the last couple of years, they've done new and exciting and cool things in their businesses. And so today we have Lori Guest. Now Lori was guest number 68, somewhere about two years ago. Uh, The show was still kind of new, I was still trying to find my sea legs and she was one of the early guests on the show. But what's fun when I have people back is I don't have to follow the same questions because if you wanna hear sort of the basics about Lori and how she became an entrepreneur, you can always go back and listen to episode 68, But when I have someone back on the show, we get to play a little bit. So I was talking to Lori before we started, and I said, you know, what direction do we want to do? Because she's an expert on customer service. She's a speaker and a trainer. She tells everybody that she is a Midwest farmer's daughter, but she's got kind of a cutting edge to her. And I said, where are we going to go? And she said, you know what? I have an idea. Just introduce me, and we'll have a conversation. So I don't even know, as the host of the show where this episode is going to go. So please welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, or I should say, welcome back, Lori Guest.
2: Hey, it is so great to be back. And I am excited about the surprise that I am ready to pull on you. Are you ready?
1: I I love surprises.
2: (laughs) Well, I hope you love this one. Well, (laughs) a, uh, a mutual friend told me that you are edging up on episode number three hundred <laughs> of the uh, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. First of all, I better start with that. Is that a true statement?
1: That is a true statement. In the next couple months, we're going to hit three hundred episodes, which totally wow. blows me away.
2: Congratulations! That I, I don't know that that people understand. Really, and you're too modest about it probably, but that is a lot of hard work. You have to find the guests. You have to get them lined up. You have to hope that they're interesting, and then all the back-end work to make it happen. Um, I'm just amazed. I don't have a podcast show, so this is what my idea is. I'm hijacking yours.
1: You're (laughs) you're taking over cool things?
2: I am. Only for this episode. I'm taking over because... I don't have a podcast. I'm not sure I have the uh, self-discipline that you have to have a 300-show uh, podcast. And so I thought, how could I have a podcast? I thought, you know what? I'm going to hijack Singer's podcast, and I will practice on you. <laughs> and so here's the deal. You're the one being interviewed. Surprise!
1: <laughs> this is great. I've always thought about having guest hosts, so uh, so I never thought that I would be the guest. But, but having a guest host and, and being the guest, I'm game. I'll play.
2: Yeah. And guest is everywhere. I, 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 I am a, a guest on the show. My last name is guest. So I guess I'm the <laughs> guest interviewer and you get to uh, be in the hot seat. So here we go. And here's the fun part. Uh, you and I know each other pretty well. We've had uh, several drinks or cups of coffee together. And that's how I see this. I see it as a conversation. I don't even know what I'm going to ask you. I truly <laughs> did not plan the questions out ahead of time. But I think that's what makes a good interview is like, let's kind of see where it takes us. So out of the gate, my first question is, why did you want to have a podcast in the first place and interview entrepreneurs? Tell us about that.
1: So uh, three years ago, I was actually at the National Speakers Association. And one of the speakers said, if you ever feel like you're in a rut, a great way to get out of it would go be interview 50 really successful people. And I have a I have a blog. And so my thought was, and sort of what he was talking about, was doing a written interview and writing up a a, a thing. And I, I started going through the process of who would be the 50 people, how would I do this? And I would interview 50 really successful people, and therefore I would learn a lot. It would expose me to 50 people who've been down the path and achieved a lot. But at the same time, podcasting was becoming really popular. In fact, it might have already reached really popular three years ago. So everybody who had a pulse was starting a podcast. And I decided I would go to a thing called... Called podcast movement. I went to the first one just to see what it was all about. And I sort of got the idea that this would be a great venue to do my 50 interviews. And so that's how it sort of all started was it was going to be 50 interviews, I was going to do it all in the course of about six months. And it was really just to get me inspired.
2: And did it get you inspired? It must have, because here you are all these episodes later.
1: Well, it, it has gotten me inspired. I have found that it's one of the greatest tools for learning and for connecting with people. And also, it's been really good for my business. So uh, that's why it keeps going.
2: That's interesting. What's the hardest part of, of having a podcast?
1: Well, you sort of said it when you said that just you know having to coordinate, always having to have someone there. My belief, I, I released this show on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and my thing that I was told when I went into it is you can't be sporadic. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I'm going to do a monthly show or a weekly show or in my case twice a week, and, and they do it for like seven episodes. And then they get busy and they stop, and they, they call it in the business pod fade because your podcast just fades away. Oh, that is
2: so me, Tom. That's exactly what I would do. So instead of fading, I hijacked. And I'm actually <laughs> thinking that's the theme. Where I think I'm going with this is I think I'm going to be a podcast hijacker.
1: That's and awesome. And you're the first. That's and I'm awesome. Just going
2: to, I'm just going to go from co- podcaster to podcaster and hijack them. What do you think? I,
1: I think that's great. And I bet there are a lot of people who would never let you on their show. They'd be like, keep that Lori guest woman away from me. But Why would they
2: say that? Really?
1: Well, some people are really formulatic and they want oh. their show to be a certain thing and, and they're very structured. My attitude is just what you said when we started. I try to make all these shows like we're having a conversation over a beer or a cup of coffee no matter who I'm talking to, even if I've never never met the person. So I actually think you may have just come up with a brilliant idea that'll set you apart and make you stand out in the world of podcasting. So I say, I say uh, go for it.
2: Yeah, I might try that. I guess the one big thing that was on my mind I really wanted to ask you, and and I, again, did not give you warning, so I don't know if you can do this off the top of your head, but have you had an aha about business during an interview? Is there one that stands out where you say, wow, I sat there and went, duh, wish I had thought of it, isn't this a cool pearl, anything stand out?
1: So, you know, I, I I would have had to have put some thought into that to be able to think. They all start to blur together a little bit. But I think overall, I don't think there's been one interview where I'm like, wow, that was the interview. But mm-hmm. I do remember when I interviewed the CEO of Ghirardelli Chocolate. And this was in the early days. It was back probably around the time you were on the show. And, you know, I interviewed him. And what I realized was he's running one of the biggest, most well-known brands. I think it, Ghirardelli ranks in the top 100 Brands, I'm making that up, but I think that's right. Top uh-huh. 100 most recognizable brands in the United States. And yet, he was really an entrepreneur. He had been the head of sales and marketing. And while heading sales and marketing, he over tripled the size of the company, I think if I remember the story correctly. And they made him CEO and and president of the company because he had done that. But what he really was was an entrepreneur. He obviously didn't found Ghirardelli Chocolate because the uh-huh. company's much older than he is. But he actually looked at an existing brand and through his intrapreneurial uh, efforts, he went and did this. And I realized that you don't have to be a solopreneur like I am or a small business person to be an entrepreneur, you can be an entrepreneur inside a large company and essentially grow that you know company itself. The, the The episode right before this one, the woman works for a publishing company called Lulu, and she is heads up the Lulu Junior, which is they help kids publish books. Now she didn't found the company; she's only been there three years. Lulu's been around since I think the '90s or at least early 2000s. I think she said. But again, she has taken the reins of this product and relaunched it and repositioned it and changed the way they've done it as an internal person. So I think what I realized was you can have that entrepreneurial spirit and put it into anything you do. You don't have to be sort of the textbook entrepreneur.
2: Oh, I love that, and I think it's really important for people to hear that, because sometimes I find people get um, stagnant in their jobs, because they feel like, okay, they've gone as far as they can go, you know, my name's never going to be on the shingle on the outside of the building, so what's left for me, and, and, and you know, some people give the word motivation a kind of an eye roll, you know, motivational speakers, but I think motivation is such an important thing. I remember one time I was working uh, as a consultant in an eye doctor's office, and he had this this one particular staff person who had really hit her ceiling, or she was behaving like she had hit her ceiling. She was never going to go any farther, and he was thinking he might have to let her go. She was actually thinking she might want to leave, and I couldn't figure out why. And when I dug into it farther, I found out that he wanted more from her, but he couldn't put his finger on what more meant. Like he just wanted more, not, I think it was more enthusiasm, but he couldn't put words to it. And she wanted more, but couldn't put her finger on it. And long story short, I found out that what she was really jazzed about was she used to have a merchandising job where she would decorate like, um. Oh, like in a clothing store where they put the clothes on the dummies and, you know, do all that merchandising to sell. And so I said to her, how would you feel if we put you in charge of the windows here? Because they have to merchandise for eyewear as well. People don't realize that, but they do. And she got so excited about it that she put on that internal entrepreneur hat, which is what I think you're talking about. He gave her a small budget and told her to go crazy with it, and it saved her job. I mean, she completely (laughs) turned her attitude around, and all it was taking was about two or three hours a month for her to do this, yeah. but she became an entrepreneur inside her own walls. I think that's exactly what you're talking about.
1: Well, absolutely. You bring up an interesting thing when you talk about how the word motivation gets sort of this thing. If you're old enough to remember Chris Farley on, on Saturday Night Live where he was the motivational speaker and we all know that he lived in a van down by the river and he was this total yeah. loser who was trying to motivate other people and that in our industry, that has sort of ruined it. I talk to people all the time who are like, oh, we don't want a motivational speaker. They're, they're cheesy. They're this. I mean, society looks at that with the big eye roll, as you said, but what I ask people all the time is, then tell me what the opposite of motivation is. Yeah. And the only word anybody can ever come up with is demotivation or unmotivation, unmotivating. And I had one person tell me they thought and thought they couldn't come up with another word and they said, sucks the energy out of the room. And she's like, oh my God, is that what we're looking for in a speaker? So motivation is never a bad thing, no matter what you're talking about, because the opposite really is bad.
2: Well, yeah. And I mean, motivation gets us up in the morning. It gets us with that self-discipline I was talking about earlier. I mean, it's the basis of everything. Like with every industry, there's stereotypes. You know, you throw out the industry. I'm married to a lawyer, right? Every time we go to a party, somebody has to tell him a lawyer joke. And what he wants to say is everybody has a lawyer joke until they need one. <laughs> right that's when right. you need one you sure hope the guy is going to answer your call and he's going to take care, care of you so I think it's interesting how we you know break through some of those stereotypes and I think with motivation that's a big one for us is that if, if we're not getting people to a desired result then then what are we doing you know so the next question I have on my mind about you uh, that, that I want to share I don't know if you've talked about this a lot in your previous podcast but I always think of you as the king of networking <laughs> and you have really established yourself in our association association as the guy who can get people to connect whether that's getting two people to meet and and create a professional relationship whether it's getting an entire association to think more about how we connect at our association meetings Uh, you just really know how to do that and my question for you is what are some of the tips that you have for small business owners which is who's going to be listening to this when it's on my website small business owners what networking tips do you have for them to get out there and connect in a way that builds their business?
1: Well, I think the first thing that, that, that happens when, when I talk to small business people is a lot of them sort of self-identify that maybe they're an introvert. And I tell people this whole networking thing isn't about being an introvert or an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. People who know me know I talk a lot and I'm you know, happy to be the first one to raise my hand and go on stage in a class or whatever. But I'm married to someone who is an introvert and yet she loves people one-on-one but she doesn't want to go to a, a dinner where there's 400 people or 4,000 people that, where they're all strangers. That's not her first choice. And so a lot of times people think, oh, I don't get involved with my local chamber of commerce or my local association because I just don't like going into those big crowds. Well, the first thing I like to remind people is it's not a big crowd when you're talking to somebody. If you and I are at a luncheon with you know 2,000 people like we were a few weeks ago but you're sitting next to me. It's really just you and I having a conversation, and most of the people I talk to, they love people one-on-one. So I say first thing you have to do is remind yourself when you go to the big networking events, remind yourself you're not there with 500 people. You're just there with the two or three people who you're chatting with at that exact moment, and you can bring that scale down, and it can make it seem a lot less scary. The other thing for small business people when they go, and I use a chamber of commerce as an example, but there's all types of events that they can go to. But if they go to their local chamber of commerce, what happens often is they show up, and if the event starts at 5 o'clock, they show up at about 5.15. They got to get parking. They get in there about 5.20, and they feel like, oh, my gosh, I don't know everybody. And they they sometimes question, like, did everyone in the room go to kindergarten together? Because it seems like everybody knows each other, and nobody cares that you're there. So my trick is don't get there at 5.20. Get there at 4.50. If it starts at 5 o'clock, get there 10 minutes early. Find your parking place and walk in because there's always one or two people who show up early. Well, everybody there is there for the same reason. They all want to meet interesting people. And as a business owner, you're an interesting person. And if there's only two or three people there, somebody, even if you're shy, will walk up and say something. Or you can be the person who says – hey, there's always one or two of us who show up 10 minutes early, isn't there? And a whole conversation can happen. And I've been teaching this for well over a decade. And that one tip of showing up five to 10 minutes early, I get letters from people years later who say they still do it. And it makes all the difference because as the other several hundred people arrive, you're already in the nucleus. As the energy grows, it's not like you're walking through a force field. It grows around you because you're already there. So that's the second tip. And then the third tip is realize that It all starts with saying hello. It's not hard to start a conversation. You just say hi to somebody and then see where it goes, and it's okay if the conversation doesn't grow into a love connection. It's don't put pressure on yourself. Just say hi to people. Ask them questions. The mistake we make is we teach people they have to memorize some sort of an elevator pitch. So they show up and go, hi, my name is Tom Singer. I've written 12 books. I speak all over the country. Just blah, 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 just verbal vomit all over the other person and that turns everybody off. If you and I were in an elevator together and I started doing that, what would you do Uh. when we got to the lobby and the doors opened?
2: You know yeah, what? I'm trying to get away from you as, as quickly as possible. I always laugh about the way that we met the first time, and, and I'm sure you remember this, but I'm, I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, we were at the end of a large association meeting. I, I want to guess four or five years ago, something like that. And this is an event that we're at mo- usually every year, but we had never met each other, a lot of people in common. And there's, you know, a couple thousand people at this event. So it, it's uh, not uncommon to go an entire week and not see somebody. And w- it was over. And you do you remember this? You were bolting one way. And I was bolting the other direction. We were the only two people in this hallway. I don't know where each of us was going, but we were bolting. And I saw your name tag as you went flying past me. And I stopped you and I go, hey, I know the convention's over, but I got to say hi. We've never met each other. We both talked as fast as we could for about three minutes with a promise to stay in touch. And that is how we formed our friendship. Well, it because because,
1: because you stopped and said hello. And that is such right. a key piece. And it wasn't hello, I'm Lori Guest and I'm a customer service expert and you need to know me. It was hello. Oh, we should have a conversation. And we you ask questions and I ask questions and we talk. And that's the the thing is that if you lead with an elevator pitch, the people are gonna be like, great, thanks, Laurie. I'll talk to you later. But if you oh, if yes. you if you lead with questions, say hello and then lead with a few questions. And the best question a small business person can ask another small business person when they're at some sort of a of a function, some sort of a civic event or whatever, is why did you come to this event? What did you hope to get out of it? Mm-hmm. and then that person has to open up a little bit, and two things happen. One is you learn a little bit about them, and the last thing is is they might have a reason they're there that's never crossed your mind, and you're like, oh my God, I can do that while I'm here? That's awesome. So right. so those and are I sort of my three tips. For, and I
2: look for the common bond. You and I had a specific mutual friend uh, between us who kept telling us we needed to meet each other and I thought that was the perfect opening to say hey we've got a couple people in common they keep telling me I should meet you to me that's a great open because it means your friends are talking good behind your back <laughs> and and who wouldn't want to start that conversation it's almost like they're there introducing us to each other even though they weren't your name tag is what introduced you to me,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. So that those would be my sort of three three quick tips for That's small good. business people: is don't be you know don't be intimidated and, and say hello and and get there early and 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 just if you're worried about the big crowd, remind yourself from time to time: I'm just here with this one person.
2: That's good. My favorite tip is if you and I were going to a networking event together where uh, we didn't know a lot of people. I and I looked at the. I always ask for the registration list ahead of time if I can get it. Sometimes the organizer organizer will give it to you. Sometimes they won't. But especially with chambers, it's usually not that hard to get it. I would look, and if I see your name on the list and I know you very well. I would call you up in advance and ask, do you know so-and-so? It's somebody I'm wanting to meet, but I don't know them personally. And you'd be like, yeah, I I know Jess Pettit. And I'll be like, great, I don't know her. Is there somebody coming on this list that you'd like to meet? And you're like, yeah, Bob Jones. So what I would recommend is that each of us invite those two people to sit with us, right? So Bob Jones is on your left and Jess Pettit's on my right and you and I are in the middle. So it's sort of like I have you on one side to talk to, but now you have facilities. This introduction. We now become a group of four, so the conversation is really easy between us, and each of us gets to meet somebody we might not have met. And so that's my tip on networking.
1: And, and and that's such a good tip. And the other piece is that can happen. You don't even have to do that at, uh, at an event. So when I had a large expense account, when I was in sales, I was selling to sort of lawyers and venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. And uh, my buddy was the sales guy for Ernst & Young. And he was selling to sort of, you know, getting referrals anyway from lawyers and from uh, venture capitalists and his clients were entrepreneurs. So we wanted to meet the same group. So what we did is if, if either one of us took 10 people out to dinner, that would blow our expense account. But easily, we could take four or five. So oh, we, that's brilliant. So what we did is he – and plus, it's not, hey, I'm hosting 10 people and inviting VCs and, and, and law partners. It's kind of precocious of me. But if I called up and said, hey, Brant from Ernst & Young and I are co-hosting a dinner with some really cool people. You may know some of them. You may not know some. But we're going to have two lawyers, two accountants, a couple of venture capitalists, and a couple of company people. And the purpose is really just to talk about what's going on in the economy in Austin. Would you like to join us? I never had anyone say no, because they don't want to not be at that table as a double negative, but they, they want to be at that table. And so, you know, you don't have to do it at an event. You can create your own dinners, get together with that friend of yours and say, let's each invite three people. The other person doesn't know in our business community. And then you each pick up half the tab. You just split it when it comes up and you, you have dinner for eight. It only costs you dinner for four.
2: Oh, that is so smart. That is really cool. I might have to steal that idea. I like that one. (laughs) All right. Switching gears. So this just happened this afternoon. And I want to know your take on this. If I am being an old fuddy-duddy and I need to get (laughs) with the times or if I'm right in the way I'm thinking. So permission granted to disagree with me. That's what I'm prefacing this with. Okay. All right. This has to do with first impressions when you're trying to make a sale or make a contact. Okay. So we're going to the next evolution of networking. You want to take it to the next level. So A couple hours ago, I needed to stop by a day spa that's here in the town that I live in uh, because uh, when I was there, there was something, um, it's a long story, but I needed to drop off a check to this person. So I basically just bopped in for a moment to give her this check, and I'm getting ready to leave. And she's with a customer. The door opens up, and a young man steps in, and that's who we're going to be talking about. A young man steps in, and this is how he's dressed. He has khaki shorts on, tennis shoes, a plaid shirt that's untucked, and he has a half of an iced coffee drink in his hand with a straw. He's a very attractive young man. Uh, You can tell he's a business person, but he just dresses like he's going shopping is how he looks. He steps in, and he says to the spa owner that he just wanted to stop by and say hi because he's a new insurance agent in the area, and he wanted to drop off his card and say hello. So she's got a customer in the chair. I'm obviously standing there doing something. He interrupts with the look that I just described, and he's dropping off his business card to try to hopefully create a connection. He's an entrepreneur looking to get business. My first reaction, I really, really almost stopped him outside to ask if I could take a picture and interview him because I'm so intrigued about did he think that's a good – does he think that's a good move? Is he being seen as trendy and casual and hip? Or is he missing the boat and and should be presenting himself differently? So you're an expert at this. I'm curious what your take is based on my sh- short explanation.
1: So I will tell you right off the bat that you're not an old fuddy-duddy unless I am too, because <laughs> because my take is is that first of all, it's okay to be casual. I don't have a problem with the fact that he was in khakis. He might want to have tucked his shirt in. It's hard to know without having Kack seen shorts. Him. Oh, khaki not shorts. khaki pants. Khaki shorts. Oh yeah. Okay. Long. Then I don't want to see his knees. You know, yeah. that's, that's, so... <laughs> So I, I definitely think if you're going to go and make a, make a cold call, you don't have to be in an Armani suit anymore. Back in the day when I was doing cold calls and when I was selling advertising for the Austin Chamber of Commerce, if I walked into someone's office, I had better – even if it was you know a construction office, I would go in and I'd be in a suit and a tie. Nowadays, mm-hmm. I, if I went into a construction office in a suit and tie, that would be the wrong attire. So the, the world has changed a little bit in the last 20 years, but I think shorts and an untucked shirt with a Starbucks cup might be a little bit too far uh, I don't think the world is there yet. So I think he should have been dressed at least in like long, long, long khakis, maybe loafers and a tucked in polo shirt. Uh, I think would have been appropriate if he was walking into people. Maybe he has his place in the strip mall, you know, something <laughs> like that, I think would have been appropriate, especially walking into a spa. Shorts might have been better have been, you know, too much. The other thing is, is that you can't necessarily interrupt. You know, obviously, if you walk in the door, you know. You can ask, is this a good time? If there's things going on, maybe you wait inside till she calls on you. So, from what you described, he probably has just never been taught the right way to do it. It used to be when you were in your 20s and you started in some sort of a sales job, there were people who mentored you. And it was really common that someone older took you under their, their, you know, wing and showed you the way I don't think that happens as much anymore. I, I happen to mentor two young men who are both 28 years old and I've, they've been part of my life for about four years. They're, they're kind of like family to me now. I'm so close with them, but I became their sort of work mentor. Uh, they both sort of found me. One saw me speak and really liked me and just kept pushing me for coffee and I liked him and I kept going saying yes and we became friends and I kept giving him advice and now his career is on fire. The other guy, oh, that's met, great. yeah, this, the other guy I met in a Starbucks and he was frustrated because he was interviewing, he was reading questions. He asked me to watch his computer while he went to pee. When he came back, I said, you look really frustrated and he said, I'm interviewing for a job and they've sent sample questions and I i don't know what they mean and he was overthinking it and I told him, you just hit the lotto, dude. I I probably know the answer, so I spent a half hour coaching him, and he got the job. So, oh
2: my gosh, that's a good story. Yeah, and
1: and he was new to town, so he's like, I got to buy you a drink, and you know, I'm like his dad, right? It's like, yeah, you can buy me a drink. And he was new to town, so I introduced him to the other guy who I knew who was his age and also ambitious, and they became over the next four years like best friends. They go on vacation together, all of their. Friend, oh my
2: gosh, that's fantastic. Yeah,
1: their friend groups are intermingled, but one of them, when he turned 28 last year, had like a big birthday party where they went on a. a pub crawl. And he invited me to go. And it was funny because his parents wanted to go and he told them no. And they're the same, they're the <laughs> same age as me. And I go, great. You did you tell them I was invited? And they said, he said, yes. But the, these two guys, their whole friend group was there. So everybody's like, who's, who brought their dad? Right. Everybody's looking at me like, what? Well, who's that guy? And they were both like, oh, this is kind of our mentor. And, and they're like, is this the guy, Is this the guy how you met? And one of the women who was there said, how do you get him? I now, I don't have a mentor like this. I don't have a, a person who helps me when I'm interviewing for a job and who talks to me about, you know, I talk to them about everything, you know, their relationships, whatever they want to do. They can call me. And, you know, they, they jokingly call me dad. My own kids, I have two daughters. They The two the girls refer to the two of them as my sons. Uh, uh-huh. they, they've only met them once, but they go, oh, you're going to go see your sons? Um, but the the fact is, is that their friends are like, how do you get a mentor like it's as if they have like somehow hit the secret lottery that they have this person and it's like some you know Nick was telling me he goes it's like everybody thinks i have some secret sauce that i have this mentor i can call at any time but it <laughs> used to be that way i had mentors when i started in business formally and informally and companies assigned you people so i think to answer your question that guy needs like a 50 year old man or woman to be his mentor who tells him things like you know, you may want to wear socks when you go in and, and call. Uh, uh, I couldn't.
2: I don't want to be his mentor, but I really <laughs> wanted to like help direct him to close these sales. And I thought, how do I approach him and say, can I interview you to find out why you think this is a good idea? I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, he'd feel criticized, especially yeah. when I ask if I can take a picture and then blog about him. I'm thinking, OK, that's a little. So that might, like, well, so yeah, that, that, might that.
1: that might freak him out. And the other thing is, is, is I don't know that people are like necessarily like, oh, yes, please give me criticism. I don't think that people are good with that. That. And oh you know,
2: my gosh, no. In I mean, the business I think in our business we are, because <laughs> we're really used to feedback and I've got a tough skin. You can tell me just about anything, but it's when I invite you to do
1: so. Well, but I also do not
2: like unsolicited advice. I hate that.
1: Also, think about our business, right? Nowadays it's going digital, but for years, as soon as you would speak, there were while you were speaking, there were pieces of paper in front of them that said rank the speaker one through five huh. and then comments on their content and their style. And afterwards, yeah. you know, you get copies of these things and And it's so funny because it's like, what other industry, while you're doing the work, do they have a a sheet to rate you sitting in front of them? Now, it has gone digital. And now that we have Yelp, all industries have that. But but as speakers, we're used to getting, you know, feedback on. I mean, I can remember somebody saying, you shouldn't wear a blue tie. Well, well, Why? You know, know. it was like, you shouldn't wear a blue tie. I've never figured out why that was the comment. I
2: don't understand why they pick on clothing. I did a a hospital event one time and I wore my very favorite dress. My husband had bought it for me. I thought it looked beautiful on and I'm a bigger gal, so I'm already sensitive about how I look anyway. And two people out of 500 wrote, she should never wear that dress again. And they ruined that dress for me. I could never take it out of the closet again. And it was only two people out of 500 and they were probably jealous about something (laughs) totally different other than my dress. Well,
1: if you said something to this young man, he probably, if you were like, maybe you shouldn't walk with your star he might stop going to starbucks and then starbucks stock would crash you know so
2: (laughs) oh yeah that would be my fault you know that that's interesting um there was another thing on my mind let me see there was something else i was going to ask you about um i know back to the um the way entrepreneurs think i want to circle back to that just a second when you if you have met an entrepreneur that's struggling Do you put in a category, um, how do I want to say this, kind of what started the spiral downward for them? Do, Do you see any kind of theme with people that you have met that are struggling to keep their businesses going? And I don't mean the fact that the phone isn't ringing or the company isn't, you know, the customers aren't coming in. I don't mean that. But I mean just mentally and emotionally, what challenges are they facing, do you think?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a billion reasons why something doesn't work and why people can have a turn and a spiral. But I think one of the things is, is that, you know, I, I did not I did not like the book. Who moved your cheese? However, Me either. however oh, I think like
2: that. But anyway, go ahead.
1: However, our cheese does get moved. And I think that (laughs) I think you have to be ready for the fact that somebody can change the game on you. And I think, you know, somebody said this recently, and I'm not recently in the last couple of years, and it just rings in my head all the time with my own speaking career. And I look at, you know, as meetings change, the role of keynote speaker and the role of master of ceremonies. Is changing, And so I'm trying to think two steps ahead. Am I more of a conference facilitator than I am some talking head? And how do I, you know, map that? And how do I get out in front of it? But somebody said one time that you don't want to be blockbuster in a Netflix world. Yeah. And I thought. Oh god, that's like the best analogy. I don't I don't know who to attribute it to, but I was like that has rung in my head for a couple of years that you don't want to be blockbuster in a Netflix world. And I think when we look at people who struggle, somehow they're cheese moved. And when you hear the story of Blockbuster, somebody came early on and said, "Hey, we should, you know, offer this too." And the executives and the board said, "Come on, people don't want that." You know, that's a small percentage of people who want their stuff mailed to them. We're never going to be in trouble because of Netflix. Well, somebody saw it inside because he presented that we should copy it. And so I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that that cheese can move and I can't blame anybody. So I have to be, you know, constantly on guard for is the cheese still there?
2: Hmm. And I think it's true. The whole idea about the blame. I can sit here as long as I want, saying, "Well, we're going to be a video store, and we're going to we're going to make people come, and we're going to entice them to come." But sooner or later, you 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 know, if you can get in front of that change, it'd be even better to be the first to recognize. You know that this is a change I need to make. I think that's a very healthy way of thinking, being flexible and willing to change with the times. Yeah,
1: and I think that's what gets people in trouble is when they hold on to, "I've always done it this way, and it's always worked, so it's going to be fine." And And it might be fine, but it might not be. So I I think from my observation, that's when I see someone who's struggled, it's often the fact that they just weren't ready to pivot.
2: Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, can you think of anything I should have asked you? As an interviewer of you, what should I have asked you that I didn't?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't even ready to be ready to be interviewed. But, you know, the last two questions I always ask everybody who's on the show is who else do you admire? And then the second question is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? So maybe you should throw those back on me because I make everybody else answer them.
2: Oh, I like those. So the first one is something about who do you who else do you admire?
1: Yeah, because I always say that I think that I always think that entrepreneurs are observers and I'm not pandering when I say one of the people who I really admire is Lori Guest. Oh, yeah,
2: you're pandering. (laughs) Come on, we got to edit that one
1: out. No, and the 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 reason I say that is in the five years that I've known you, your business has grown and you have not been shy about the fact that you do things your way. You don't listen to the people in our industry who says, oh, you have to have this or you must do that or you must look this way. You uh-huh. you do it your way, and you position yourself as you know a little bit of a zig when other people zag, and it's worked for you. And at the same time, I also know that you work really hard, and I think that you know I admire that people who work really hard and get results. I, I just can't not there's my double negatives again. I have to admire. That, oh, part, thank that, that work ethic. Thank so.
2: My biggest aha for this year that's worthy of sharing is is a, I have a hot dog cart analogy. So bear with me for a second. I noticed all of a sudden, I love creative thinking. I love new ideas and I might invent seven new ideas in a year, try them all and only one of them works. And I'm happy with that. It's the whole, you know, how many different light bulbs are you going to invent before you get the one that works, right? That old, that old thing. And so I'm all about new ideas and trying them. But I noticed that I was getting so distracted. I had so many things. Yes, I work hard, but all of a sudden, way too many things going on. So, a very good friend of mine, Lori Clinka, was going on a ride with me somewhere, long drive, five-hour drive to a gig, and all of a sudden, she's asking me a bunch of questions, and she knows a lot about my business, and I'm giving her all the details, and all of a sudden, she says, "You know what?" And this is where the the cool thing, this a pivot point for me as a businesswoman, complete pivot. Oh, you know what? I think we're out of time. I don't think you're going to get to hear the pivot point. Oh, huh? keep
1: going, keep going. My show. It's my show. We can go as long as we want.
2: No, I'm just kidding. I was totally putting a cliffhanger in there so that people have to tune in for the next one. No, I'm kidding. So here's my pivot point. She says to me, you know what? You kind of might remind me of a Tiger Woods who has spent her entire life working towards a goal. Practice, practice, work, work. And now you're ready to tee it up in the Masters. And instead of hitting the ball down the fairway, and concentrating on what you have going on that's going to be a moneymaker, this is what you're saying. You know what would be really cool is if I had a hot dog cart, and I went out into the gallery, and I sold <laughs> hot dogs in the gallery, and there'd be four kinds of mustard. It would be so cool, and we could decorate the cart, and there could be lights, and there could be this. And As she's talking, I'm not kidding, Tom. I thought to myself oh my gosh, that hot dog cart idea is a really good idea. <laughs> I'm like getting excited. And she said, you should forget about the hot dog cart and keep your butt in the fairway. And I'm a golfer. I totally get that. And I remember watching Tiger Woods play golf once at one of the U.S. Opens. And it was in the high heyday of his career. And after he had played 18 holes of golf on the day before the, the final, instead of going back to his hotel room, he went to the driving range. And he hit balls for another hour on the driving range, focus and hard work, focus and hard work. So for the next three hours of the drive, all we did was list out my hot dog carts, things I was doing and spending time and money on that wasn't generating the hope of income in the near future to build my business. And we came up with eight of them. I had eight (laughs) hot dog carts and she made me promise that I would go home the very next day. And start calling the people that were involved in these hot dog carts and tell them the deal's off. I'm not going to move ahead with this right now, maybe sometime in the future, but for right now, I'm only going to concentrate on the fairway. And that's this project and this project. And all the rest of them go by the wayside. Pivotal point, because all of a sudden my calendar opened up, my time, my resources, everything. So my, my point in bringing all this up is I think every entrepreneur needs to stop for a second and say, am I going to be in the fairway or am I going to be selling hot dogs?
1: Mm. That's awesome. That is an awesome analogy.
2: That's great. And I'm just thinking how cool four different kinds of mustard would be with your hot dog.
1: <laughs> I like mustard.
2: I know. And so, the second question you ask when you finish is, tell me what it is again.
1: It's, what do you do to give back to the greater good?
2: Oh, that's a good one. What yeah. do you do, Tom, to give back to the greater good?
1: Well, I believe that entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. And trust me, I, I want to make money. But I also think they they want to leave something behind that says, I did, I did good here. You know, I made that. And as, as a lot of people know, and I've talked about it on this show before, my daughter Kate was born with kind of a somewhat rare medical condition where the bones in her her skull had fused together before she was born, and they, they didn't diagnose it like they should have. It should have been diagnosed before birth, certainly right after birth, and we kept asking. Her head kind of had a funny shape, and we kept asking, and they kept saying, heads are funny, and I remember the doctor saying, go to the mall and look at people's heads. They're all shaped differently, and so now every time I go to the mall, I look and go, God, look at that person's head. Oh my <laughs> gosh, look at that. Wow. You know, that guy's got a noggin on him. So, the doctor kept saying it was fine, and around four, four and a half months, the doctor said, well... Maybe it's not. Let's do a CAT scan. I'm sure it's not this thing, and and of course it was. It was called sagittal synestosis, and the the head is five free-floating plates, and two of hers were joined, so they would never – her head could never grow sideways. It could only grow front and back as her brain grew, and it was scary. It was horrible. It was easily the worst thing we ever went through in our lives, and in a very short amount of time, we had to make a decision to do nothing and, and raise a kid with a serious socially limiting handicap, maybe some brain damage from the pressure going on in the skull. Or we could do surgery where they would remove most of the cap of her skull before she turned six months old, which was five or six weeks away. And we opted to do that even though there were risks because that's what 16-year-old Kate would have hoped we would have done if there was something we could have done to not have her have a, a really bad defect. Uh, we realized that as an adult, she would say, why didn't you take that risk? And so we did, and it all turned out great, and we felt very fortunate. And when I started speaking professionally, I still had a full-time job, so the money from speaking was like a trip to Europe for the family, it was cool. But my wife said, you know, we're very fortunate, we should find a way to do something to give back. And about that time, they were opening a new children's hospital uh, in Austin, the Dell Children's Medical Center, we didn't have state-of-the-art facilities or doctors here when Kate was born, and about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, we started the Kate Singer Endowment for cranial facial surgery and research, and from that day forward unto today and tomorrow and next month, we give a small couple of percentage points every time I give a speech – to uh, this hospital and a similar fund at Children's Hospital, Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, where Kate was operated on. And I just got a statement the other day, and doing some math in my head, it's almost $70,000 uh, over the last decade uh, that has been donated or raised. We do a fundraiser on her birthday and ask friends to give a few dollars here and there. And then some of my clients have said, can I give some money? And, and then the stock market has done well. And the combination is the two endowments are up to somewhere near $70,000. And... I call it compounded generosity. What I found is you don't have to be rich to impact a charity. And if anybody ever hires me to do a TEDx talk, I wanna talk about this idea of compounded generosity because I'm not rich. My brother said, we don't come from a family who has their name on the wall of a hospital. You know, how, how in the world have you given and raised so much money? And trust me, my business, I've struggled for years to grow my business. We were, you know, broke. And as soon as we started making money, the oldest kid went to Carnegie Mellon University, which is very expensive. So we don't have lots of money. But we, mm-hmm. give, we give small pieces along the way and through, you know, the growth of the, the way the hospital invests it and through other people who have chimed in with a few dollars here and there, it, it's a real number. If I walked into any charity in the country and said I would like to write you a check for $70,000, they'd have a dinner in my honor or something. So. yeah. I had never
2: heard Kate's story before that is so interesting to me and I love I love the give back and also you know the the thing that you talked about earlier with the mentorship it's like making that extra effort for those two men is creating a domino effect for their families and for their friends, and and to you, it's it's not a huge deal. It's a small thing, but but a huge thing in the dominoes of all these lives. So that is a really cool story.
1: I, I read a poem when I was a younger man about an old man who built a bridge across a cavern, and it, it rhymes, and I can't even begin to do it. It's called the Bridge Builder. You can find it online. But it basically somebody asked the old man, why are you building a bridge? You'll never come back this way. And through a series of rhymes, which it's really cleverly written, he basically says, I build it for the people who come later. And Mm -hmm. and that has always stuck with me that you just have to do. I mean, you know, how long does it take to to give a couple of percentage points and just do it regularly? It doesn't it doesn't impact my monthly bottom line, and yet it impacts the research that the doctors at Dell Children's and Rady Children's are able to do for kids born with craniofacial abnormalities, which isn't just the bones; it's also the soft tissue, which includes cleft and and other stuff. Uh, And you know, about one in three thousand kids are born with some sort of a craniofacial issue, not necessarily what Kate had, but but was something. So uh-huh. I, I love the fact that we've done this. Kate actually asked me last year, what if she took it over? Could we grow it even bigger? I mean, I know it'll be hundreds of thousands of dollars in my lifetime, but she said, could it be a million in mine? And I was like, I hope so. I hope it is.
2: I hope it is too. I also think the idea of the compounded generosity, that sounds like a title of a book you ought to be grabbing. I mean, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's the way that you think I think it's the way that you behave. I think it's the reason that people like me are gravitate towards, you know, connecting with you in the first place. So I think that's your calling, man. I think you better get off the line and go write that book.
1: <laughs> I, I own the URL, compoundedgenerosity.com.
2: There you go. That when you own, own the URL, you're halfway to the book, right? <laughs> that's I a, mean, that's, that's a, what they say. Well, well, Tom, I want to thank you for letting me hijack your podcast. This is a lot of fun. You're always a joy to talk to, but uh, you're a good friend. When one of us is on the road for hours driving, we're usually calling each other and, and talking each other's ear off. So uh, I knew this would be an easy conversation. So, so thanks for being uh, 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 allowing me, I guess. Not that you have a choice, but allowing me to uh, to hijack you. You're good friends. Thank well, you.
1: Well, Lori, this was a great idea. And I, I want to put a thing out there for all the other podcasters who listen to this. Go to LaurieGuest.com and get get her information and call her and say, please hijack my show because this might've been the most fun that I've had in almost 300 episodes. I, you know, you, you caught me off guard, but it was great. So thank That's you. Right. Thank you for being my, my guest host, Lori guest. Hey, one more question for you. If someone wants to find you, where's the best way to get in touch with you? Is it LaurieGuest.com? How do people find it you? It
2: is. Yep. Just what you just said, LaurieGuest.com, and everything they need to know is on there, including a, a new and fresh blog and all kinds of fun stuff. So, yep, that's the way to go. Well, per- that's where to go.
1: Perfect. Well, again, thank you for hijacking the show and for doing the interview. It was a lot of fun. And thank you to everybody who listened. This was uh probably not what you expected either, but thank you so much for joining in. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, We wouldn't have a show. So uh, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. If you want to join the Potential Mastermind group, go to PotentialMastermind.com. That's the uh, hosted uh, group coaching program that I host, and uh, it's growing. We have some interesting people. I would love to have you join. Check it out at PotentialMastermind.com. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody. I usually say just as cool as whoever was interviewed. It's awkward to say, with somebody (laughs) just as cool as me. (laughs) That doesn't sound right.
2: But we're it gonna... does. It sounds perfect because nobody's <laughs> cooler than you, Tom.
1: Well, we're going to be back with a great interview in a couple days, so come on back. But in the meantime, I challenge you, go on out there and have a great day.
0: Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger.com.